With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the next installment of the SUAS News Podcast Series, where we make history broadcasting the applications of unmanned technologies live. I'm your program host, Patrick Egan. Let's say hello and a warm welcome to our co-host, Gene Robinson. Gene. Hello, Patrick. How are things going? We finally got demobbed from our little outing last weekend doing all the blues. I think I have all the blue stem smoke out of my lungs now, finally, and uh, well, we had a spectacular time last week. I sure hope that uh, folks enjoyed our little little talk that we had out in the field. Yeah, that was, uh, that was very informative. Again, uh, the common thread with this show that I enjoy is when uh, people get on here and, uh, you know, they talk about uh, their passion and how this technology helps that passion. So um, let's you know let's talk about a couple of things that are going on with the news uh, this week, Gene, that may have caught your attention. I mean, there were a few uh, big items, but uh, maybe there was something that that you caught. You know, it's not one particular thing, Patrick, that I've seen. It's the quantity of things that we've seen. We're seeing more and more press on people actually going out and making breakthroughs and doing some pretty amazing stuff with, with uh, unmanned aircraft, we end up with the same usual media privacy issues and we see the, the very onerous laws that are being passed. But by the same token, the industry is moving ahead. And, again, you know, we've had the FAA online webinar uh, the other day. We've had uh, several announcements of folks that uh, were going for certification and training processes and some very positive things going on. I think that's the key thing. We're seeing a ramp up of more and more UA-related developments taking place, and I think it's it's very encouraging but by the same token, I think it kind of stokes the fires of the media and, and the, the, the privacy folks. And uh, I think that some of the things that you and I have addressed years ago about getting those folks involved, and uh, once we get them educated and let them know that we're not actually out looking for them, that uh, we might move ahead. But uh, that's, that's what I've observed here in the last week or so, even you know being out in the field. Yeah, um I, I think that's pretty good observation. Uh, the uh, the webinar was interesting. I, I listened in on that, and uh, you know, I was a little. It was kind of short. Uh, people got on there. There was actually a lot of time to make comments and ask questions, but uh, I did not realize that um, we would not be able to have our questions or comments addressed, which was kind of an interesting thing. 
But uh, I had brought up some points about, uh, you know, during the small unmanned aircraft systems arc, they were talking about having these test centers 30 miles from a uh, charted towered airport or heliport, which would mean that they'd be kind of out in the boondocks because there's airports everywhere. Um, And to me, it kind of seems if if we're going to follow that model, especially flying bigger aircraft, um, these uh, test centers should be out in the boondocks and privacy should be, uh, shouldn't be too much of an issue. But uh, those were my comments. I did have some feedback from the community. um, And uh, one of the the funnier uh, lines was, is that um, someone said that they probably gleaned enough wedge issues uh, during that webinar to uh, slow things down for another two or three years, which I thought was kind of funny. It's a little, <laughs> it's a little negative, but uh, it may be true. I don't know. Um, besides that, uh, there's lots of good news with lots of things happening. Um, but I don't want to, I don't want to get too caught up on the news this morning because our guests this week are. Um, it, this is an interesting topic, and I think it's an important topic because uh, it, it deals with getting uh, unmanned aircraft systems into the NAS. And so uh, we have our, our, our guest this week are uh, Renee Cantarino and Dr. Michael Cantarino and Richard uh, Healing. And uh, I want to I want to bring them on and get this thing rolling. Uh, usually what we do, uh, it's customary for us to have our guests give a short biography, uh, a little background about themselves and how they got here, and I think we'll launch right in here. And, uh, Renee, is it possible that we could start with you? Thank you very much, um, Patrick. My name is Renee Contarino, former electrical engineer with the Navy and a principal with R-Cubed Engineering. Uh, we are a small company that tries to do emerging technology solutions that are very affordable and, and routinely are sized, weight and power uh, um, aggressive. What we have accomplished by working with a small team is we have demonstrated the first autonomous ADSB collision avoidance capabilities. And um, we have the Honorable Richard Healing as part of our team. He'll, he'll give a, a good overview of NextGen and why ADSB is a, uh, a very robust technology for both self-separation, collision avoidance, and improving safety for UAS integration in the NAS. And we also have Dr. Mike Contarino, uh, 30 years of sensor expertise, and he is also our, our chief uh, engineer and test director. Dick, may I pass it to you? Yeah, hi. This is uh, this is Dick Healing. Uh, just wanted to uh, uh, let you know my background is a professional engineer since about 1974. Uh, primary uh, mechanical engineering and uh, with a lot of experience in aviation safety from about 20 years working as the head of safety and survivability for the Department of the Navy. Uh, subsequently, went to the National Transportation Safety Board. So my focus uh, in approaching this particular issue was uh, the safety aspect of it and ensuring that uh, whatever we attempt to do uh, results in uh, safety improvement in the national airspace, uh, even integrated airspace. And then this is, okay, this is Mike Comperino. Uh I have, uh, as Renee had mentioned, I've had 30 years' experience uh, working with the U.S. Navy. 
uh, building uh, aircraft sensor systems uh, for various detection uh, activities. Uh, and since my retirement about five years ago, I have uh, focused on collision avoidance systems for uh, small unmanned aerial vehicles. Okay. Uh, so everybody's kind of uh, been around uh, for a while. Uh, it sounds like we're all kind of versed in the in the technologies and airspace and uh, unmanned aircraft. Uh, jumping right in here, uh, maybe we could uh, start with uh, who wants to field the what does ADSB mean, uh, both the acronym and promise uh, that the technology holds. Yeah, this is uh, uh, Dick. Uh, I just uh, have been working in this area for quite some time, but ADSB uh, was something that was created uh, originally by UPS, and uh, it was an alternate means of providing separation between their aircraft and other aircraft uh, when TCAS first came into uh, the, the uh, traffic alert collision avoidance system, first came into use with commercial airlines. And, uh, and it was a, a lower-cost uh, system. So what they created was ADSB. Now, A stands for automatic. That means that rather than responding to a radar query from a ground radar, uh, this automatically sends its own signal on a time sequence. It's uh, usually once per second. Uh, dependent. Uh, dependent means that uh, it, it depends on other inputs, and in this case, uh, the uh, global navigation satellite system, GNSS, provides GPS signals. So this system depends on the global satellites for determining the position of the aircraft. Uh, surveillance means that it, uh, it uh, listens and hears other aircraft that are transmitting their signals as well. So it's sending its own signal. Uh, which is dependent on the GPS uh, satellite system, and it at the same time is listening and, and receiving information on other aircraft. Uh, broadcast is exactly uh, what that means, and that is that it is not a uh, it's it's not uh, held to any one point to point uh, signal, uh, and and that basically means that it's broadcast, and everybody can hear that signal uh, who is within range. So the, the the acronym ADSB does stand for Automatic Dependent Surveillance Broadcast, and I think the promise of it is based largely on the accuracy that is inherent in GPS positioning, and that would essentially mean that by comparison to the ground-based radar system, you have much more accurate position information about the aircraft that are in the picture. Hmm. And so, and and this was uh, this is going to be part of the the next gen uh, for the NAS. Is, is that correct? Was that uh, meant to dovetail with that? Yes, uh, actually, uh, the next gen, which is the next generation air traffic management system, uh, is is based on the backbone, if you will, of ADSB or GPS positioning. And, uh, and for that reason, the FAA believes that in next gen, when they have much more accurate position information, that the system uh, will be safer, 
because they will have much more accurate position information and that they can actually manage uh, a larger number of aircraft as the population of aircraft in the system uh, grows. That's, that's essentially next-gen is, is basically marking the shift from a ground-based uh, radar uh, sensor system to a broadcast of GPS data by individual aircraft. So the, the ADSB, it, it kind of sets up like a network in the sky. Is that a fair representation? Uh, actually, the you know the, the satellite uh, system is is really the the basis for this whole thing, and the ability to see or receive uh, position information from a number of satellites uh, is key to uh, making ADSB work. But the the ADSB system is uh, each individual aircraft knows its position and transmits its position uh, once per second. And it receives position data from other aircraft that are within range, and therefore it knows where the other aircraft are around it. Uh, the, the safety, uh, the, the, one of the interesting aspects of this is I think the FAA is, uh, is taking the position that pilots will be, um, have greater situational awareness and will be more, better able to maintain their own separation without waiting for the FAA to give them instructions on which way to turn or what what altitude to take. Hmm. Uh, so, so you know, one, one of the things I would, I would like to ask is we've heard uh, quite a bit about uh, the spoofing of GPS. Um, maybe you could address what, you know, is that minimized in the ADSB system or is, is it encrypted or are there measures that uh, can be taken that, that minimize that risk? I know and the only reason I bring that up is because it's been such big headlines here in the past. Uh, let, uh, let Dr. Cantorino answer that question, please. Yeah, hi, this is uh, Mike Cantorino. Uh, I actually have spent quite a bit of time looking into uh, GPS uh, integrity, if you will, uh, and its impact on collision avoidance systems for UASs. Um, one of the, I mean, I think, I think absolutely it is a, uh, a weakness of the system. Uh, in that if, if you were to lose GPS, then uh, our aircraft have, have a difficult time determining where they are, uh, and the collision avoidance system would not work very well. The uh, important thing, I think, to understand is that the spoofing problem for uh, ADS-B collision avoidance is probably not as much of a problem uh, for the safety of the system. Uh, because you will still, if you have an aircraft and it's receiving information uh, from all the other aircraft and then someone puts out spoofing signals, uh, you'll be trying to avoid aircraft that are not there, uh, but you still are going to have the tracks of the aircraft that are coming in. Uh, so it would take a pretty um, sophisticated spoofing system to try to cause an aircraft uh, to to become in danger. Uh, inconvenient it would be, sure, and that would be pretty easy to do. Uh, and so addressing the spoofing issue in the long term is very important. Uh, but currently we have that, that same situation in terms of spoofing radars or spoofing any other of the electronic signals that we use uh, to maintain the collision avoidance safety of our aircraft. 
Uh, I believe no. in the okay, go ahead. No, I was gonna say you make an important point is that the general public doesn't know that uh, conventional radars and that sort of thing can be fooled. And uh, I think that's kind of been glossed over or even overlooked many times. But uh, uh, I'm, I'm really pleased to see that, that you've got a, a handle on this and you can explain it very eloquently. That was very good. Thanks. Um, well, you know, and, and moving on uh, with that now, you guys, there was a presentation on the Internet. It was a webinar, and I believe it was entitled uh, – uh, all weather um, sense and avoid system, and uh, I, I I got to see some of that. I got a little late as uh, show prep, and I was uh, looking at that. And so maybe someone could explain what that means and uh, give some information on that. And then also at the the end of that explanation, uh, somebody could possibly mention the web address uh, if there is one where they could go and view that webinar. This is Renee Contarino. The all-weather sense and avoid was a uh, an effort funded by the Navy to develop a low-cost, size, weight, and power um, sensitive capability for the small UAS platforms. We looked at the uh, inventory of UASs, and 89% of the UASs that we know are going to be uh, in the airspace are going to be very small and are going to have payloads that are severely constrained. What we did was we designed a system with a dual band 109978 radio, and then we leveraged the information that comes out of the ADSB messages and all the information that's captured, and we developed an open architecture that allows us to put this capability on any aircraft, GA, helicopter, UAV. Uh, we also put it on... Um, any autopilot, we've flown multiple different autopilots. In fact, two weeks we'll be flying it out in Yuma, Arizona on Piccolo. And we also have ported it to multiple displays to show that it, it, it can be worked with any kind of display system, whether it's Falcon View, Google Earth, uh, your iPad. Then we have also demonstrated very uh, comprehensively the ability to process any cooperative information, sensor inputs, and now we're in the, in the uh, next iterations of testing to show how we can airborne capture any of the non-cooperative sensor inputs that are available airborne. Most of this was reviewed and was uh, recorded on the FUSE website, and you can input that meeting number. It's 178-43063. But again, OSAS stands for All Weather Sense and Avoid because whenever you can fly, we can listen we can process, and we can give airborne self-separation, collision avoidance, and autonomous features to improve safety. Thanks. Hmm. That sounds interesting. Uh, all right, so that sounds like fun, too. It sounds like you're heading out to beautiful Yumistan. Um, I, I spent some time out there. Uh, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. We won't go into that one right now, but um, now... I have a little bit of insight into ADSB, and uh, but let me say my exposure was limited. Uh, well, I was part of the Small Unmanned Aircraft Systems uh, ARC that the FAA stood up, and uh, we did have a gentleman come on, and he talked about uh, ADSB, and I remember there being a, a lot of promise, uh, but at the time this was 2008 or early 2009. 
there were some issues with uh, the, the frequencies uh, between uh, GA was using one frequency and the part 121 using another frequency, and there were also issues with infrastructure. Uh, where do we stand today uh, as far as infrastructure and, and some of the other issues that I, I mentioned uh, with ADSB? Uh, this is Dick. Uh, let me uh, let me give you some information uh, about that. First of all, the the, the uh, uh, altitude split uh, that the FAA has determined is going to be at flight level one eight zero or eighteen thousand feet uh, MSL. And people who fly above that are normally part one twenty one and uh, business jets and uh, pressurized aircraft uh, that can operate above that altitude, uh, everyone operating above flight level 180 will be required to transmit uh, 1090 megahertz, which is the uh, current frequency for most transponders, and it's also in the military side, it's the IFF frequency. Uh, they're interrogated on 1030 megahertz from ground radars, and they respond, their transponder transmits a signal back on 1090 megahertz. So the frequency at, at high altitudes is always going to be the same one that we're using today. Uh, below that altitude, below flight level 180, general aviation aircraft, uh, light helicopters, other non-pressurized aircraft that are not uh, have no need to fly above flight level 180 have an option. Uh, they can... They can, if they wish, continue to use a 1090 megahertz transceiver, but they're uh, encouraged to take the new frequency that was established, 978 megahertz, uh, which is primarily intended to, uh, if you want, uh, unload, if you will, the the uh, the burden on the 1090 frequency, and that is that uh, with everyone on 1090, we really do have a crowded frequency and all the problems that are attendant to that. Uh, by getting uh, the large number of general aviation aircraft uh, to use 978 megahertz, uh, that will, that will uh, significantly unburden the, uh, the other frequency, and it, it should make things work better. But it's not mandatory. It's an option uh, for those aircraft that are flying below uh, 18,000 feet. In other words, they have an option to use 978. Now, why would they do that? Uh, the 978 uh, transceivers are, uh, at least the ones that we're aware of today, are, are significantly less costly uh, than the uh, 1090 transceivers. And so there's a financial uh, incentive there to use a less costly system. Uh, sure. The other, the other things, the FAA initially said uh, the infrastructure that you mentioned uh, basically consists of, uh, across the country, somewhere around 730 uh, ground-based towers uh, or terminal, GBTs they call them, ground-based terminal, which is uh, essentially they're taking advantage of cell phone towers that are already in place and they're mounting uh, the FAA's equipment on there to receive uh, ADSB messages, so they'll know where anybody who's transmitting ADSB is located with great precision, uh, and also to retransmit uh, with TISB, they call it Traffic Information System Broadcast, TISB, 
they're going to transmit what they have on their radar picture or their their screens. They're going to say, okay, we've got traffic in this vicinity, and they transmit uh, aircraft uh, in a, whatever vicinity that uh, they happen to be in uh, to aircraft within a certain range of your own aircraft, and that way you have a picture of those that are close to you. Uh, additionally, the FAA will be using FISTI, Flight Information System Broadcast. All of these are transmitted from those ground-based terminals, GBTs. And uh, the uh, flight information consists of uh, weather information, which would be updated roughly every five minutes, and uh, other information of importance, such as uh, TFRs, uh, temporary flight restrictions, and so forth, uh, that are in, of interest to aviators, uh, you know, operating in the area. So that infrastructure is not completed at this point, but it's uh, it's substantially completed. I can't tell you exactly how many towers, but uh, there must be at least half of them because they're supposed to be completely in place by the end of uh, 2013, fiscal year 2013. Uh, I would, although I would suspect they'll be a little bit behind schedule with uh, some of the things that are going on with uh, sequestration. So right. that's, that's how it'll how it'll work. Okay, well, that's uh, interesting because that was a big concern for folks that there was uh, a lack of infrastructure. We have a caller um, that's uh, been holding for a while, and I think we'll we'll bring them on and, and see if they have a question for one of the guests. Let's see here. Hello, caller. Do you have a question for one of the guests? <laughs> Maybe they've been holding so long that... Uh, they forgot that they were on the phone. Okay, well, we tried. Anyway, um, another thing when I was on the ARC, there was a little bit of pushback from the GA community um, as far as adoption of this technology and uh, wanting to install this technology in a, a aircraft. Some of it was cost. Others had alluded to, um, let's say that uh, they would be tracked and the information would be recorded. Have you uh, run into any of that pushback, or are people starting to embrace this technology because of the uh, potential safety benefit? Renee, do you want to take that? I'd be happy to. We have had ongoing discussions with many of the professionals that are involved in the aviation community. Uh, I use the word professional because that's what most aviation professionals are, consummate about aviation safety. Uh, this is like any other um, advanced technology. It needs to be educated. Once individuals uh, learn what ADSB brings to them, improves their situational awareness, improves their ability to to really be safer in the airspace, manage um, manage uh, the airspace picture, and, and more importantly, self-separate and have the ability to have very, very robust collision avoidance capability. Uh, we don't have, we've not heard anyone who's pushing back now. Initially, yes, it was, if it, it's going to be so costly, but just like the GPS tools that we all now use, the aviation community is very anxious to get the tools for weather, for traffic, for position data, for improved situational awareness. And this is um, 
definitely going to help with workload. And I guess even more importantly, many of the professionals now know that this technology is going to be a backbone of the UAV community where the burden for safety will be on the UAV to make sure that they manage all of the uh, the inputs. So I think that we're seeing a, a major shift once people understand the technologies, the availability, the low cost, the improved functionality that will give them, you'll definitely see this being embraced. Uh, our team witnessed this this past summer when we were up in the University of North Dakota flying. The young pilots who were doing the testing for us were all very comfortable with ADS-B technology. In fact, their fleet of 120-plus aircraft are all ADS-B equipped. The young pilots all loved having the capability, and when it was removed for testing, uh, they quickly realized how much they came to depend on having that improved situational awareness. So, again, I think you're going to see the, the young generation of, of pilots coming down the road are going to anticipate having these tools and will expect to have these tools. Hmm. Now, will this, uh, I mean, I, I did hear something about like an iPad or an iPhone or, or maybe an Android phone or something as being the interface for this. Um, and, and maybe we can talk about uh, this for, let's say, let's use GA, uh, how it will be installed if it's something like a handheld GPS that someone might have, like a like you would have a cell phone holder in your car, if you're going to have that, and that will be the interface for GA. And then also I'd like to talk about what the interface will be for uh, small unmanned aircraft. Obviously, I can't sit in the, the cockpit and have it mounted to the windscreen there, so is it going to be on my ground station? Is it going to be handheld? Will it be on an iPad? Somebody like to feel that? Uh, it's, it's my contrarian. I'll, I'll be glad to feel that. It's it's something I guess I'm actually getting some experience with right now. Uh, clearly, uh, the more people that are participating in the ADSB, the safer the airspace is going to be. Uh, and, and pilots are realizing that as well. Uh, the the best situation certainly is where the ADSB is integrated into a cockpit screen that is built into the aircraft system. Uh, but those, uh, for various reasons, are going to be uh, much more expensive uh, than than the handheld units that are uh, coming onto the market now. There are at least four companies offering uh, very small battery operated. Uh, ADSB receivers, and these are these are dual band ADSB receivers. They receive both the 1090 and the 978 air traffic, uh, and they make available traffic display for an aircraft. And that traffic display can be either integrated into the cockpit display, uh, or for those aircraft without cockpit displays or they don't have the the um, expense account to afford integrating them in. You can display the information on an iPad or on a GPS unit uh, that may be portable that the pilot has taken on board. A friend of mine has a Piper Cub, and he, he has done just that. He's taken and mounted his GPS unit and his iPhone uh, so that he can easily see it, and uh, he can get his ADSB traffic display uh, on his iPhone so that he has it uh, for reference as he's flying. Uh, that being under $1,000 for full implementation uh, will help more people be able to be part of the system. And uh, even though that's not uh, certified 
system. Uh, the pilot is now still uh, in control and actually still responsible for collision avoidance, but it is permitted for him to use it as an aid uh, in his own assessment of the air traffic situation. Hmm. Uh, so I'm pretty excited that uh, that these allow more aircraft to participate uh, in the the being aware of other traffic, uh, and as as the transmitters become uh, less and less expensive, uh, more and more of these aircraft, including uh, you know battery operated aircraft, will will in fact become uh, participating in the system. Yeah, that yeah, no. that would be the next question too. Is uh, as an un a small unmanned aircraft manufacturer, my aircraft weighs you know four or five pounds. And, uh, I mean, how, how small are we going to be able to make these transceivers? Or am I going to be able to put one on my plane and, and uh, have it compliant? Uh, yes, this is Mike Contarino again. Uh, as a matter of fact, that, that is absolutely going to be true. One of, one of the advantages of the second, secondary system, um, you know, for the small UAS, they will normally be flying below 18,000 feet. Yes. And so the power requirement for ADS-B uh, is going to is, is only to have between uh, I believe it's about 12 watts minimum uh, transmitted peak power. That's very easy to do in a battery operated device and very low cost. In fact, it's quite a bit less power than your your cell phone transmits. So uh, it really comes down to uh, a, a commercial market uh, to to bring the cost down to within a couple of hundred dollars. Um, there are a number of activities ongoing that are being funded through universities and the government to build low-cost transmitter units um, that can, in fact, be certified by the FAA so that you now have a fully participating uh, ADSB transmitter that is small, uh, small being smaller than a cell phone, uh, with a battery equivalent to the size of a cell phone battery, uh, that can easily be put into small ADSB aircraft. So I really think that it's the uh, generation of rules and regulations um, that is going to keep us from implementing the system uh, faster, and and not the technology or the cost or the size or the power and the weight at this point. Hmm. Well, that's certainly some very good news. That's uh, something we've been waiting on for a while. Yeah. I, I uh, as you were uh, talking about that, I actually Googled it and uh, pulled up one company, and I think actually we ran a news story about uh, their product the other day, and it says here their product is uh, 5.5 ounces, and it has all of these different capabilities. Um, and one other thing that uh, I, I don't know, maybe if, uh, someone could uh, talk about this capability is there's a Synthetic vision altitude heading reference system. Did anybody uh, want to talk about that? Well, I can go go ahead and, and field that. I haven't actually uh, seen uh, any. You know, I'm, I'm not not referencing a particular system, uh, but I think we're all aware of the various games that are available out there. Uh, and once you have three-dimensional aircraft information, uh, it becomes very straightforward to, to build a fairly realistic three-dimensional uh, interpretation of that information. Uh, and it has, it has a lot of very powerful uh, 
parts to it. Uh, the most most important being is that those things that are close to you become bigger and more important than those things that are far away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so your ability to react to them is, is considerably improved. Uh, you're not distracted by those things that are not necessarily close to you uh, because they're little spots out on the horizon. Uh, and then if something gets closer and is uh, more important, uh, you become more aware of it. So, so I think that could be a very powerful uh, approach to improving a pilot's situational awareness without distracting him from his main job, which is, of course, flying. Right. And uh, I'm actually, the, the one other thing on this site is the uh, ADSB advisory service map. And, and this kind of talks about uh, what you were saying about infrastructure. And uh, actually, it's, um, it looks like a lot of the infrastructure. And there there are larger are large parts of the country that are still uh, without service and, and parts of Alaska. But I would say that those were probably the more unpopulated uh, regions of the country. So um, that, that's kind of interesting. I didn't. I, I guess not keeping up on it, I didn't know that we were uh, that far ahead here. Well, um, another question that I would have, and it would kind of uh, a follow-up about how it's received, maybe uh, someone can talk about the common thoughts or interpretations expressed about this technology and uh, its applications, maybe even from a regulatory standpoint of view and then an end-user view. Um, I, I think we'd have to have more specifics on that. Dick, are you are you uh, able to um, respond to some of this? Uh, you know, my my sense is that uh, there is so much that is still undecided. Uh, for example, uh, the rules and regulations that are specific to uh, sense and avoid to th- that type of stuff. Uh, is still very much a work in progress as far as developing specifications and then following that uh, with uh, the usual pr- rulemaking process. So, uh, you know, my my guess at this point is that uh, we don't we we don't really know uh, what's going to be the end result of all the work that's going on. But uh, we could say that uh, it, you know the vision uh, is is built around at least the concept of next-gen, and then how uh, how an integrated airspace uh, could function. Uh, one thing that we haven't really discussed in, in great detail is that uh, the, the the system that uh, that was developed for the Navy included uh, the, uh, the the potential for a uh, an automatic or an autonomous. Uh, signal input to an autopilot on an unmanned aircraft, and what that does is reduce the uh, the risk, or should at least reduce the concern if it's functional and and effective. Uh, that means that an unmanned aircraft that either loses link with its uh, controlling pilot on the ground, or for some other reason fails to respond to guidance that is provided by the system. Uh, it would key in uh, a uh, a maneuver into the autopilot directly, uh, causing the unmanned aircraft to avoid hitting uh, any manned aircraft or, in fact, any other unmanned aircraft. So, uh, you know, the, the rules and regulations that will uh, be relevant to that particular type of function uh, are still very much a work in progress, but 
I think uh, the approach that uh, that we have, has been taken, at least our approach so far, has been uh, that if we can if we can make this happen and we can prove that it does happen, then the specifications and regulations could be built around something that you actually have data, the uh, evidence that shows that it does exist and it can occur. Dick, that's a very good point that we did not share with the uh, the callers is the fact that we have also utilized the capability of all known data information. We preload um, the databases that are pertinent, whether it's uh, the military databases or the FAA safe database or, or known towers or known borders or no fly zones. Those things are put into the OSAS capability and, and they are processed on board with the rest of the sensor input picture. So, and more importantly, that data is also captured, collected, analyzed, and then shared. We are doing this under military funding presently, and that is being shared. We've recently had inquiries from other services as well as other agencies to identify what the MOPs could be with this type of capability. Uh, again, we've, we've designed our system with multi-layers, algorithms, uh, dual-band radio, and the ability to have an FPGA design has allowed us to tweak as we go that then that design will allow us to, <laughs> to harden the design and, and certify it, and more importantly, take it to the smaller uh, miniaturized capability of ASIC components. So we're very excited. We feel it's very robust. I use the analogy frequently of it's another app for your iPhone. The iPhone, iPhone has all this capability. It captures all the available data that's out there. You just write additional applications to process the information. And again, it's, uh, it's very open-ended. Uh, the more we learn, the more questions we ask, and the more questions we ask, the, the more we advance. So we, we're actually pretty excited about having this opportunity to share the information. Yeah, uh, I mean the promise is is great, and uh, anything that makes the NAS safer is uh, something that uh, we're definitely interested in. Now, the other thing, and this is just something I want to throw out because my, uh, you know, I had this, I, I talk about this, but I had this discussion with my father about uh, privacy and uh, some issues with, um, you know, uh, people talking about drones and privacy. Now. Do, do you th and I'm just throwing this out here, and it might be a little off the cuff, but is the, is it? Do you think it is possible to uh, have an app for cell phones for people who are concerned about privacy that they might be able to have an app on either Android or iPhone, where they would be able to kind of monitor where uh, these drone aircraft were, kind of to assuage privacy concerns? Anybody want to uh, feel that? Oh well, this is uh, Mike. Um, that's that's actually kind of interesting um, because almost by definition with the ADSB infrastructure, uh, you would you would have that ability to uh, look at the location of all aircraft if if in fact they required ADSB for uh, UAS unmanned aerial vehicles. Uh, that would be um, a very good reason actually for requiring uh, ADSB capability to to be on all unmanned aerial vehicles as well as manned aircraft, um, because then you would in fact know where uh, all the drones were, assuming that you you knew the identification of the uh, type of aircraft associated with each of the um, 
ADSD messages. Uh, that is built into the ADSD message structure, the type of aircraft that is that is transmitting the signal. And so it would be uh, fairly simple to decode which ones were drones and which ones were not. Hmm. Very cool. So uh, that that would actually uh, could be a solution that may assuage some of the uh, let's say apprehension that that people have about uh, this technology. I mean, I'm sure we'd have to kind of work out uh, if 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 let's say first responders or police were doing police work, there may have to be a uh, delay or something depending upon their operations. But that would be one way for us to work with the privacy people to uh, feel better about this technology. There's, there's a, uh, I don't know if it's a million dollar idea, but it's definitely one that has some merit. Before we run out of time, uh, there was, this was very fascinating. Um, I, and I'm, I'm very happy that you guys were able to come on and uh, talk about this technology and the promise. Um, some of it may be a little in-depth and, and involved for some folks. So is there a, a website where people could go and, uh, say, learn more information? Do you, do you guys have a website that you'd like to mention? We we do have a website, Archive Engineering. We also work closely with UAV Market Space, and they have a website at SUAS. Uh, or that's your, Patrick, is yours. So what we'll do is we have... Um, plans in works to do future webinars, and we'll get that information out. Well, definitely uh, give that to us as a press release uh, when you're ready to do that, and uh, we'll post that at the susnews.com website. Uh, because I, I, you know, I think it would be uh, what is the old saying? Is the picture's worth a thousand words? And uh, folks could probably go there and, and learn a little bit more about what you guys are talking about. Again. Fascinating. Um, the promise. Uh, I'm really excited about the promise and the safety. Uh, I'd like to thank everyone for coming on and uh, taking the time today to be part of our guests. And I would uh, encourage the listeners to get more educated about this technology. If you got any questions, you could also email me, Patrick, at susnews.com, and I could always forward that on. Again, thanks so much for coming on. Everybody have a good week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.